Okay, let's pray together, and then we'll open up God's word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness in our, in our midst here, all the ways we've seen you working. Thank you for this body. I, just, I love this church, Lord. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your grace, so evident in the lives here. And Lord, would you continue your work as we open our hearts to your word? Would you shine the light of your truth upon us? Let us see what's going on in our hearts. Let us see more about who you are and strengthen our marriages. I pray, Lord, too, for the singles who hear these messages about marriage week after week, Lord, that you would give each single person here today a feast of your truth and your word, that they would meet you and be touched by you through this as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about the words that we speak to each other in marriage. All through the Bible, God, God says, like in Proverbs and many other passages, that the, your words, the words you speak to your spouse, can have the, the, the potential of either bringing them great good or great harm. Okay? God says that your words can bring your spouse great good. Here's some scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, uh, A soft answer turns away wrath. Right? So, good word can change that and bring about good. Ephesians 4.29, this is an amazing verse, says that your words can actually bring God's supernatural grace. The words you speak can bring grace to your spouse. Proverbs 12.18 says that your words can bring healing to your spouse. And we just go on and on. Lots of verses that show that your words can bring your spouse great good. There's also verses that show that your words can bring your spouse great harm. Proverbs 26.28 says that your words have the potential of bringing about ruin. James chapter 3 verse 8 says that your, word can, your words can produce unrighteousness. Proverbs 21.23 says that words can bring about trouble. So great good potential, great harm potential, and then there's one verse that kind of brings those two together, Proverbs 18.21, which says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, take that and then bring that into the context of marriage, okay? Where over the years of your marriage, think about this, over the years of your marriage, your spouse will hear more words from you than from anyone else. All the words that your spouse hears in his or her life, most of them are going to come from your mouth. Which means that you are going to be, you will be, it's inevitable, you will be the means of either great good or great harm to your spouse. So now at this point, we're thinking, okay, how, how do I do better, right? How do I have my words be words that bring great good? And Jesus tells us how we can do better. And the passage I want us to focus on this morning is Matthew 12, 33 to 37. So let's go ahead and turn there. And if you need a Bible, we want you all to be able to have one, because our fo- focus here at Mercy Hill is the Bible. So I'd like you to be able to open up and study this passage with us. So raise your hand. One of these guys will give you a Bible. Matthew 12 is on page 817 in the Bibles we're passing out. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Now while you're turning there, let me mention something that Jesus does in this passage that is very important. And he does it all the time, but I want to highlight it to you. 
Jesus does something in this passage that is not done often enough in Christian books or Christian sermons. Okay? Too often, Christian books and Christian sermons kind of take an approach like, here's five steps to effective communication in your marriage. And so you're going to do step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, good suggestions. The problem with that, though, is that you're left relying on yourself. You're left depending on yourself, your ability, your willpower, your discipline to strengthen the communication in your, in your marriage. That's not what Jesus taught. It's not how the Bible reads. That's not the gospel. The Bible, the gospel, always directs you to depend upon Jesus. Right? To depend upon Jesus. I mean, the verse we quote often is, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Okay, so if you're sent out of these doors without relying on Jesus, I've just called you to go and do nothing. Right? Okay, so... If a sermon or a book is going to be Bible-centered, gospel-centered, it has to leave you depending upon Jesus and relying upon Jesus. And that's what he does in this passage. And he does it all over the place. And the whole Bible does it. But look, look at this passage. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And that's that's a metaphor. You'll see he's talking about speech in our hearts in this next verse. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Wow. Okay, now I, I spent some time meditating, pondering this passage, praying over this passage this week, and, and I, I think there's three main truths that, that I saw that I think Jesus is especially focusing on. And, and as we dig into these truths, Jesus is going to be helping us change in our words. The first truth is very simple. There's good words and there's evil words. Okay, look at verse 35 where Jesus says that. He says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and he's talking about words, brings forth good words. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil words. So what Jesus is saying is that there's words that you could speak to your spouse today that are good. And... There's words you could speak to your spouse today that are evil. Think about that. So what that means is that there's words that are really good, truly good, objectively good. And there's words that are really evil, truly evil, 
objectively evil. Okay, now at this point, some of you may, may have, a, have a difficulty with that. And the reason is because in our culture today, there's lots of talk about how there is no objective, over all of us, standard of right and wrong, that basically each person needs to come up with their own morality, right? Discover what's good for them, what's bad for them. That's, that's very common in our culture today. And so if that's where you're coming from, you're going to have a hard time buying off on what Jesus is talking about here from the get-go. So I just want to encourage you to, to think a little bit more deeply about that, to doubt some of your doubts, to, to, to ponder this. Think about it like this. Ask yourself this question. Is there anyone in the world that you could imagine right now who's out there who's doing something they think is right but which you believe is wrong and think they ought to stop? Can you, can you imagine anybody out there who you think of what they're doing and you say, that's wrong, they should stop that even though they think it's right? I think all of us, I mean, I thought of sex traffickers and child molesters. Okay, even if the sex traffickers and the child molesters think what they're doing is fine and right, it's not. You know that. But see, the moment you say that, what all I want to do is just help you see that we really do all have over, we, we think that over all of us, we do think that there's a right and that there's a wrong. Because if you can imagine anybody who's doing something they think is right, which you think they should stop because you know it's wrong, then you do believe that there's some overarching right and wrong. So just, I wouldn't expect to change your thinking on that with five sentences there, but I want to challenge you to think about it. Don't you really believe that there is an overarching right and wrong that's not just we each create our own, but that's over all of us? See, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus teaches that there's right and there's wrong over all of us, an objective outside of culture, outside of an individual, right and wrong. It's there because God has put it there. It's God's right and wrong. He's God, and he's revealed it to us, what is right, what is wrong in the Bible. So it's crucial that we understand there's good words that you can speak to your spouse, and there's evil words that you can speak to your spouse. So what does God say are good words? I got a list here. Good words are gospel words. And I was talking about this with Jan yesterday, and she said, at this point, I should say, and I think she's right, this doesn't mean you're following your spouse around, reading the Bible to them wherever they go, okay? Although then she said, that may not be all that bad of an idea. But anyway, okay. Gospel words is simply where you, you speak to your wife the truth of the cross, the truth of who Jesus is, his love for her, his promises to her, to, to, to your family, his faithfulness. You're speaking to your husband the truth of the gospel. Those are good words. That's what I mean. Good words are grateful words, where your words breathe thankfulness to Jesus, thankfulness to your spouse, thankfulness for your spouse. I mean, when was the last time you said, thanks, hon, thank you? For something. Good words are affectionate words. Okay, this is where you express affection, your, your delight in your spouse, your pleasure in knowing them, the joy that they bring to you. I mean, this is such a, it's not a little thing. I mean, do you tell your spouse, I love you, I love you, hon. 
I love you. Thank you. You are such a gift from God to me. Those are good words. Good words are constructive words. Or there's something that needs to be changed maybe. And you appeal. You appeal to your spouse. You humbly appeal. Graciously appeal. About areas of concern. Your goal is to bring about encouragement to them and bring about change. There's a humble appealing. It's constructive. Good words are humble words. You put your spouse first. You're not making demands. You're not saying, I deserve this. You owe me this. There's, there's a sense of humility that's, that's in the air as you speak those words. Uh, good words are listening words. Where you ask questions. And then you listen. You don't interrupt. You ask follow-up questions because you're interested in your spouse. Uh, Good words are truthful words where you you graciously, humbly speak the truth about Jesus, about a circumstance, about an area of concern in your spouse's life, possibly. It's, It's humble. It's gracious. And then good words are gentle words. Tender words. Tender. I love that word. Tender words where you're taking his or her feelings into account. Okay, so those are, those are some of the good words. And so ask yourself, how many of your words towards your spouse are good words? How many of your words this morning or yesterday towards your spouse have been good words? Then there's words that God says are evil words. Evil words would be non-gospel words, where, where your words end up distracting your spouse from Jesus, from his faithfulness, from his love, from the cross, uh, evil words would be ungrateful words where you're complaining, right? You're demanding. There's, there's no, the, the words don't breathe thankfulness to Jesus, thankfulness to them, for them. Evil words would be hurtful words where your, your goal, I mean, in hurtful words, your aim is to bring them emotional pain, right? Through insult, through uh, bringing up past situations, through sarcasm. Hurtful words would be evil. Uh, evil words would be threatening words, where you're seeking to bring about change through warnings or ultimatums, that'd be an evil word. Evil words would be proud words, which imply that you're better than your spouse, they owe you, whatever, just the opposite of humility in the other list. Evil words would be insensitive words, where you don't care about the feelings of your spouse, you're just going to speak what you call the truth. Okay. Evil words would be lying words where you don't admit the truth about yourself or about a situation or a scenario. And evil words, this last one I wanted to mention, would be no words. Okay, where you're not talking to your spouse, either because you're too busy and you don't care, or because you want to give them the silent treatment to hurt them in some way. All right? So those would be some evil words. And so so how many of, of your words towards your spouse this last week have been good words? And how many of the words that you've spoken towards your spouse have been evil words? This last week, how, how are your words? I mean, think about your words, what you've spoken. Think about them. There's good words, there's evil words. And so for the well-being of your marriage, I mean, obviously it's vital that we understand this, right? Because if you're speaking evil words in your marriage, it's going to be very harmful to your spouse and to your marriage. So one reason we need to think about our words is for the well-being of our marriage. But there's another reason that we need to think about our words in marriage And it's the reason that Jesus gives in this passage. It's a shocking reason. The reason is because we will be justified or condemned by our words. Straight up. He doesn't mince any words about this. Now, if you've been reading your Bible for a little while, this should raise some questions in your mind. okay? Because you've you've read, you should have read, if you haven't, read more. You should have read that we are justified not by works... 
which would include not by words, but by faith in Jesus. So you should be wondering here, what's, it's not what I'm saying, it's what Jesus is saying. Okay, look at what he says in verses 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. If that doesn't send you to the cross, you're hopeless. Or you're in la-la land, okay? (laughs) Sends me to the cross. Why? Why will we give account for every careless word we speak? Four, verse 37, here's the reason why. By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Okay, what we have to understand here is that the word justify is used in two very different ways in the Bible. Okay, the fact that the same Bible uses one word over here and one word over, the same word over here doesn't mean that the Bible uses them in the same way. Okay, and we need to look at the context and think a little bit more deeply. This is one of those times where the same word has two very different meanings. Okay? Sometimes the word justify has to do with how our salvation comes about. How we get saved. We're not saved. I want to be saved. How do I get from not saved to be saved? Justification is the process. How our salvation, how our justification um, is brought about. So how is our salvation brought about? Not by our works. Not by trying to make your speech good. You can't make your speech good enough to get saved. You've got to understand that. The only way you can get saved, the only way your salvation comes about, is through trusting Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Jesus came to the earth. He lived the perfectly moral, righteous life you should be living. And you haven't. And you can't because you're, you're sinning. You're a sinful person. I am too. Okay. He lived the perfectly moral, righteous, blameless life that we should have lived, and he died on the cross and experienced the infinite punishment that we should be punished for our sinfulness. This is what Jesus did. And so the moment that you trust Jesus from the heart, meaningfully, at that moment, all of your sins are transferred to Jesus and punished on the cross. All of them, past, present, and future, punished on the cross in Jesus. And all of Jesus' perfect life of moral, blameless righteousness is credited to your account. And so from that moment on, simply because you've trusted Jesus, you've received him, Lord, Savior, treasure, you're forgiven, you're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, you couldn't be more accepted by God at that point because you've trusted Jesus. Okay, That's how we are justified in the sense of how our salvation is brought about. Does that make sense? It shouldn't be new thoughts if you've been here for a little while. But sometimes the word justified is used to mean something else. Not how our salvation is brought about, but how now that we've been saved by faith in Jesus, how our salvation is demonstrated, how it's seen, how it's visible. Okay, That's how Jesus is using it here. Okay, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by having good words. We're only saved by trusting Jesus. But, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, from the heart, God brings his Holy Spirit upon you and starts to change you. 
start to get changed. A renovation project, okay, starts. And you will start to experience change in every area of your life, including your words. And so you, you, you first trust Jesus, you are forgiven, you're accepted, and then his power starts to change you. And one of the areas you'll see starting to change is your words. You will start to use less evil words. And you'll start to use more good words. And that change shows that you've been saved. It justifies you, it demonstrates you as a saved person. Does that distinction make sense? This is huge because you could miss eternity if you don't get that right. This is absolutely vital. So when Jesus says, by your words you'll be justified, he's not saying, by your words you'll be saved. He's saying, by your words you will show that you have been saved. Okay, what, quiz time. How do you get saved? By faith in Jesus, okay? How do you show you've been saved? By works, by good words, by, by change. All right. Now, so, do you feel how massively important your words are? Your words are showing something about you right now. Your words are either showing that you've been saved or that you haven't been saved. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Okay, picture it like this. You're at the end of history. Uh, verse 36. It's the day of judgment. And there you are before God. And God is going to want to display to people why you are either going to be condemned or why you're going to be welcomed into heaven. And there's your words. And your words will show. If your words have not been changed, if your words are evil, everyone will see that you never trusted Jesus and you will be condemned forever. On the other hand, if everyone can see that your words started off evil, but then started to be changed, started to get better, okay? There's, there's a change happening here. It's a gospel change. It's a cross-centered change. It's a Jesus-wrought change in your life. Everyone will be able to see this person was saved, okay? You don't get saved by changing your words, but your words change will show that you've been saved. Just let me throw in something else here. It's not that your words become perfect. That's not how you show you've been saved, right? Your words will not be perfect until when? Heaven, okay? Before heaven, your words will be changing, but they will, you'll never be sinless in your words. So please don't think that that's how you demonstrate your salvation is by perfect words. No. But what demonstrates your salvation is changing words. Okay, so do you feel how important this is? I mean, church, do you get this? Your words don't save you, but if you've been saved, your words are changing. And they'll show that you've been saved. Are your words changing? I mean, as you look back over the last year, are there less evil words and more good words because of the work that Jesus is doing in your heart? That's what he wants us to understand here. That raises another question, and that is, okay, what can I do to have my words change? And we know that only God can ultimately bring about this change, but is there anything that I can do? I think the answer is yes. 
I think Jesus wants us to understand from this passage, this is the third truth, that we change our words by changing our hearts. Start with this idea in verse 34. Your words, where do your words come from? Blah, 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 all these words. Where do they come from? Words are the outflow of the heart. Okay, look at verse 34. Jesus says, you brood of vipers. He's talking to the Pharisees. You can see that earlier in the, in the chapter here. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what comes out of my mouth comes from my heart, right? If I find myself speaking proud words, it's because I have a proud heart. If I'm speaking loving words, it's because I I have a loving heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I kind of want to show you a little bit of a visual aid here so that this might help you see this. Some of you are visual learners, so let's go for it. Okay. Now, here we've got a bottle, and uh, and if I if I pour out of this bottle, and what comes out is dark, vile, evil. That's what that's what that just was. Okay. <laughs> that's dark, vile, evil. If what comes out is dark, vile, evil, I say, well, why did dark, vile, evil come out? Well, it's because that's what's inside. Right? Then we try it again. Okay, well, why did dark, vile, evil come out? Because that's what's inside. Okay? Is, is there any possibility that, that, oh, there it is again, but that inside there's really clean stuff? Come on, you guys. No. Okay, this is no trick questions here. This is like really elementary. Okay. And so that's how it is with with you, when, when evil words come out of your mouth, it is not because you've had a hard day. It's not because your stock portfolio has been decimated. It's not because of what your spouse has done or hasn't done for you. You feel that? That's not why. Let me just show you why again, okay? Here's why, all right? Ew. That's why. It's what's inside the heart. Okay? Now, in the same way, there's good news here. Ooh. Okay? Clear, good words. So if, if all of a sudden out of this bottle, oh, humble, loving, affectionate words are coming out. Well, why is that? Well, it's because there's love and there's humility. There's a good heart inside. Okay? Is it possible that, that good words come out and... and no, it's clear. It's good. It's loving. So, so do you get that? Out of the, or the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the, of the heart. So if, if you speak gospel words and affectionate words and constructive, humble, loving, kind, sensitive words, your heart's good. If you speak proud words, and threatening words, and uh, insensitive words, or no words, it's because your heart's evil. It's straight up. So Jesus is saying here. Okay, he doesn't mince words. He always goes for the jugular because he loves us. All right? So, so the problem is, is the heart. So your words show your heart. 
Now, if that's true, then how do we change our words? How do you change your words? By changing your hearts. Okay? Well, how about gritting your teeth? Let's see. Okay, let me show you what happens when you grit your teeth. I didn't think of this until just now, maybe. Okay, so you're going to grit your teeth. Oh, oh, it's coming out some other way. Okay? Not bad, huh? All right, anyway. <laughs> right? Isn't that what will happen? Okay? I'm not saying any bad words. It'll, it'll come out your ear. It'll come out somewhere. Okay? It'll, it'll, it'll come out in some way. So the way to change our words is by changing our hearts. That's what Jesus says in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, is what he's saying. For the tree is known by its fruit. So we change our words by changing our hearts. Now, how do we change our hearts? What do you do to change your hearts? On the one hand, we have Jesus who, it's in um, Luke 18, where he says what is impossible with people, that is cha- heart change is impossible with people, but he goes on to say what's impossible with people is possible with God. So there is something you can do to change your heart. And what's in scripture after scripture after scripture is that the way you change your heart, it's only one way. It's through trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Here's a scripture to turn to. Acts 15, 8 and 9, just to see this. Acts 15, verses 8 and 9. I didn't think of the page number. Can somebody find the page number in the Bible we just passed out? Here's what's happening. You can just speak it out if you find it. Anybody? 924. Acts 15, 8 and 9. Peter is explaining about what happened when the gospel came to the Gentiles. And he says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Our hearts are cleansed by faith. Look at one other scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This doesn't use the word faith, but this is such a helpful verse. How do we change? How do our hearts change? 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The way we are transformed is by beholding Jesus with faith. Trust in Jesus changes our hearts, transforms our our hearts. When you put your trust in Jesus, your heart will be changed. Now, I would guess that there may be some of you, in fact, Jan and I were talking about this yesterday too, where you're saying, I've I've tried that, and nothing happened. It's not working for me. Let me just make two comments on that. One is that what changes your heart is not the fact that you trusted Jesus five years ago. Okay? It's that you trust Jesus now. And the kind of faith that will change your heart now, the kind of trust in Jesus that will change your heart now, is not where you just you know, believe certain doctrines about Jesus. He was the Son of God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. I believe those. Uh, no change. That's not the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is when in your heart you personally see Jesus and you trust your life to him. You, you trust him, his death on the cross, to forgive you. You trust his uh, presence to satisfy you. You trust his uh, commands to guide you. To trust you. You trust his promises to keep you. You cast all your burdens upon him. 
You are talking to him. You're crying out to him. You have a heart connection with him that's marked by dependence and trust. When you do that, I mean, do you feel a personal engagedness in that description of faith? Night and day difference from just believing certain facts about Jesus. You are resting yourself in the person of Jesus. You're relying on him. You're depending upon him. You're seeking him. You're going hard after him. You're seeing him. You're loving him. You're trusting him. Then the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will change your heart. I mean, when you see Jesus, the verse that's been helpful for me this last week is, Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. That's just been so helpful for me this week. As problems have come up, as circumstances have hit me, as disappointments have have come, you, Jesus, you've got all authority in heaven and on earth. And time and time again this last week, as I've talked to Jesus about that, and you're in control, you're sovereign, you're loving, you're wise, worry has diminished and insecurity has gone away. And that's what you'll experience when you trust Jesus, see him for who he is, his love, his power, his faithfulness, his goodness, his promises, his mercy, his compassion. Worry will drain away. Pride will be humbled. Insecurity will be replaced by peace. Your heart will be changed. A picture like this. Okay, here's you, here's me, all right? Evil heart. I know it's evil heart because I say something to Jan's like, oh, it's not so good. Okay, I've got an evil heart, okay? So when you put your trust in Jesus, what he does by the power of the Holy Spirit is he just empties all this out. Ooh, yuck. Poof, evil heart. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he fills you up fills you up fills you up fills you up oh that's what he does right John 7 okay and then then you talk and uh, there it is okay good words you change your words by changing your heart And your heart is changed, it's cleansed through faith in Jesus. Okay, and that that just brings us right, right back to Jesus. Abiding in him, beholding him, trusting him, seeking him, and your heart will be changed. Okay, now what questions does this raise in your mind? I like to open this up for questions because we're all... You know, we've all got Bibles, and we all want to be studying, and one of our values here at Mercy Hill is that you can raise questions and just say, I'm not sure that the passage says that, and and that's a good thing, because the whole goal here isn't to have you agree with me, it's to have you study the Bible for yourself. Well, I think there's, all your sins past, if you're trusting Jesus, in the way I just described, all your sins, all your words, all your idle words have been paid for by, I mean, Jesus was punished for all of them, past, present, and future. Okay? Does that that answer your question? I'm sure many others had the same question, so. That's right. Okay, excellent. I'm so glad you, the, the downfall of this illustration is it looks like you are completely purified by Jesus, and we're not, right? There's still indwelling sin in us, okay? Yes, so in terms of salvation, if you're trusting Jesus, all of your words, past, present, and future, have been already punished. Jesus was punished 
for them. That's what they deserved. Look at Jesus' death on the cross. That's what your words deserved, okay? So that's, you're, you're covered, you're justified, you're clothed with this perfect righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. And then, the Holy Spirit is upon you and progressive change taking place, which will, which will have ups and downs and ups and downs, ups and downs, and will not become perfect until heaven. So, Keep that in mind, okay? There's, there's progress, but there's not perfection this side of heaven, okay? Didn't understand the question? People can hear your words as evil words, even though they're not, right? That's, and, and so how do you respond? And I think you, that, that's, I would do both. I would apologize that they felt badly by the words. I'm sorry for how they felt about them. And I would explain what I meant by them. This is going to open up a whole other topic. Let me, let me, let me, no, it's, it's good though. It's helpful. You will not be held to account. They will have no bearing. If you're trusting Jesus, they will have no bearing on your eternity. Right? Do you all get that? If you're trusting Jesus, your words will have no bearing in terms of whether you're in heaven or not. I do believe that Jesus teaches, Paul teaches, the Bible teaches that... There are degrees of reward in heaven, degrees of blessedness in heaven, which do depend upon how we live here, right? The way I like to describe it is, I heard, I think John Piper said this, is that um, everyone, every believer will be filled in heaven. Some will maybe be shot glass filled, and some will be 50-gallon tub filled. I, I think there's truth to that. And so, if I speak harsh words today, I'll have less joy forever in heaven in Jesus. So there's weight there. So you're not held to account in terms of whether you're in heaven or hell if you're trusting Jesus. But like everything in our lives, every action, every sin, decreases our joy forever in heaven. And you know, the good news is, I mean, it takes great wisdom and Jesus will give us wisdom, James chapter 1, verse 5, and we seek him and ask him, maybe get counsel from other people. But you're raising a very important topic, and that is timing. Maybe is isn't everything, but it's like a whole, whole lot of the communication thing, right? We, if you've been married for you know, an hour, you know that, all right? Okay? So, but the Lord will give you wisdom. And even, I mean, usually my timing problems because I don't think about timing. If I think about it, I do much better. I'm not flawless by any means, but I do better. So, okay, we got to stop. It's quarter till. Let's stand together. If you've got more questions, we can talk more. I mean, you come and talk to me privately. That's what I'm saying. But let's pray and ask God to, to meet us this week in our words by changing our hearts. That's what we ask you, Jesus. Thank you, first of all, for the cross. We have all spoken so many evil words, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that for trusting you, you suffered what we should have suffered for all those words, past, present, future, evil words. You paid the punishment we deserve for that and every sin. And we thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be trusting you, beholding you more, and letting your glory and mercy and love and goodness change our hearts so that we, we have hearts that are becoming more and more good, so that our words are becoming more and more good. With our spouse, with roommates, with people at work, 
with children, parents. Put this upon us, Lord. And so I just want to make sure, Jesus, that we're all left abiding in you, relying on you, looking to you, trusting you. Thank you that you will do this in us as we are trusting you. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.